Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving the perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Winter Burns, while my counterpart, Savon Morris, who is back, <laughs> back and better than ever. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth while it sounded like, I'm back. <laughs> yes, sir, definitely. Well, we have a lot of topics to get into today, as usual, and we're going to get into some NBA, um, NBA playoff topics, also some, some, some thoughts on just kind of like what's happening with, with current uh, current album announcements and some album reviews. This, and in the second half, we're going to do a review of Ocean's 13. But to start off with just thoughts on Devin Booker's injury and the, and the Pelicans' major game to win. Um, in this game, the Pelicans were able to win by 11, and Brendan Ingram had 37 points, 11 rebounds, and, and 9 assists. Um, and, and when you look at the, the first half Booker had, like, he just was unstoppable with 31 points. Mm-hmm. And then um, he, he had to leave uh, in the third quarter with hamstring tightness. TJ McCollum also finished with 23 points. Um, but in terms of like the series now shifting to New Orleans and them kind of having the the edge of not having of not having to face one of Phoenix's best players um, for a couple of games, what are your thoughts on how the series has developed and also just what Devin Booker's injury means for Phoenix? I'll start with that. What it means, it means it means a lot. I will say that, but they're not 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 used to this. They've played multiple games without their three best players, Chris Paul. Um, uh, DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. They play without these guys. The only guy has not missed any games was Mikael Bridges. So they're used to this. They know how to play basketball. They know how to play fundamental basketball to next man up. And I, that's what I love about the Suns. When one of the star guys are down, the next man is up. I think them even going into New Orleans. Yes, Brandon Ingram had a great, phenomenal game, game two, but I don't think he's that type of guy who can keep that up. I don't think momentum has shifted at all. Yes, Devin Booker is going to be out typically 14, 21, 14 to 21 days, probably come back game five. I think it'll be a game, we'll get to a game five. I think it's going to be even when he come back, he's going to be the cherry on top. But I don't think it's, uh, uh, you know, to panic for the Suns because they've been here before without playing with their top guys. I do, I do, I do like what the the Pelicans did in game two, but I don't think they can can sustain that. Sustain it. Ab- yeah. Absolutely not. Not Brandon Ingram. We're still waiting for Brandon Ingram to be that. That's that's the potential. He still hasn't tapped into the potential just yet. We've seen it with the Lakers for the X amount of years. And when he came over to the Pelicans with the deal. We thought, okay, now he can relinquish. Now he can be the guy, and he still hasn't been the guy yet. I think having the the uh, veteran presence of CJ McCollum helps, but he's still not there just yet, and I don't think they can sustain it. So, Suns, Devin Booker is going to rest a little bit, come back, and whoop the boys. They're going to be fine. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. And, yeah, and, and, and I mean, like when you look at at this Phoenix team, and obviously, like. They're they're the they're the number one seed. They've won sixty four games, yep. and now they're kind of having to be in a position where they have a stunning loss. Like, do you feel as though like even though you, you want to win every game, they they kind of need at some point you'd rather have this type of adversity now than later in in the postseason when you're not expecting it as much. Right. I think you get yeah. You want the injuries. Well, you don't want the injuries. But, you don't want that. Yeah. But if this something happens now rather than later, then that's really really good because Devin Booker is a high power, I mean, a high percentage of your offense. So when right. he goes down, then you have to reconfigure how your offense is going to look. Yes, you still have Chris Paul, but Devin Booker is the guy who's going to knock down those shots consistently after three-point, finish at the rim and different things like that. So 
you you want it to happen now. You don't want it happen at all, to be completely honest with you. But if it <laughs> yeah. does happen, you want to happen in game one. Then they understand, okay, this happened in a regular season two. If we can come out the series without without having Devin Booker for a couple of games, then our confidence is boosted. Now we know we have a good team with or without Devin Booker. I think it's the same similar situation to the Celtics when Kyrie Irving was out and didn't play and they made it that far against mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the Cavaliers the Cavs. and, and end up losing, obviously. But that was a confidence booster. So I think it's good to have it now rather than later for sure. Yeah, definitely. And now kind of getting to the Grizzlies and Timberwolves being tied and, you know, who should have the edge in game three. Mm-hmm. And, and that game is, is currently uh, going on and, and Minnesota ha- has a lead on Memphis. But in game two, Memphis was able to win by, by 28 at home, which was, you know, the largest margin of victory in franchise history mm-hmm. in a playoff game for them and a near triple-double by John Moran. Um, Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. each added 16 and Anthony Edwards led Minnesota with 20. And Anthony Edwards really has, like, you know, especially in the first game, looked like a dominant force and one of the biggest reasons why Minnesota has a legitimate chance to make this uh, just a really high, high, high competitive mm-hmm. uh, type of series. But what are kind of your thoughts on how the series has developed so far and just the back and forth nature of it? Because these two teams are really evenly matched so far. You're looking at the number three and 17 in scoring. The guys average 150 points a game. It's going to be a, yeah. a high scoring series. They're so frantic. These guys love to, to get out on the break and to and to create uh, transitional transitional points. We are not going to see much defense here. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to see much <laughs> if defense. You're, here, if but you're a defense fan, it's, it's not this a is not this series. Change it to some other channel. I don't know what channel you want to go to. But change um, to another channel. But I think this is going to be Milwaukee, a, Chicago. <laughs> I'm Milwaukee, Chicago. But I do think this is going to be a high scoring series. It's no clear cut. Uh, Win, not winner, but clear cut team who's going to take it. I think is one and one for a reason. I think this game will give us a, a game three is going to tell a lot. Yeah, it's going to give us a synopsis of what game four is going to look like and what game. Four. I think it will go to game six or possibly game seven. Um, I yeah. just because how the high scoring, how, how high scoring these games are, and how sporadic these teams can be at the last minute, especially in the fourth quarter. You know, we, we see a lot of these games come down to the wire where there's a shot made at the last second. We saw that with the Celtics. We saw that with Joel B last night. So yeah. it's all these sporadic. Yeah. So it's all these sporadic things. And I think these two teams who were number three, and number seven in the regular season for, for points, this is probably going to go to game seven because there's no clear cut um, head, head team right now. Yeah, I mean, and that and, and that kind of even goes to, to a question I, I had later with, with like which series could go the longest. This kind of does feel that way. Like, do you feel as though like the main point of it is? I mean, obviously, like these are two young teams, but just getting like the offensive element in it and the fact that we're seeing like two, we're really seeing players on both sides that are going to be around the league for a long time this early, and the offense is really the reason why this is going to be like one of those series. It's going to be like really tough to distinguish who's who's better. For sure. And this is probably not going to be the other... It's, it's going to be multiple Game 7 series. Yeah. And I think and yeah, for sure. this was definitely one because this all younger guys, they're a high scoring. There's not much defense. It, it, it's not a, a clear front runner. And I think also the other series that's going to be a Game 7 is the, is the Mavericks and Utah Jazz. Without Luka mm-hmm. Doncic... He's the he, maybe he comes back game four, game five, but we don't know. He's yet. everything for Dallas. Exactly, <laughs> we're he's literally everything. He's the game changer. He's the guy who the, the mold, the offense, the front. You know, so without him, I don't think is a clear front runner as well. And then you look at Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz is just 
<sighs> Donovan Mitchell is not panning out. Rudy Gobert yeah, I mean, is human. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, like, that was another thing I want to get to because that, like, when you see Utah's nucleus and, and, and also j- j- just them being in the playoffs for so many years mm-hmm. and people just, like, there even have been reports about, like, if they don't get if they, they they don't get far or at least to the Western Conference Finals this year, there's going to be changes made, which I feel as though changes have needed to be made for a while, but they just haven't been able to get over the hump. Like, what are your thoughts on just how Utah is, is kind of looking at the nucleus that they have in the series? It's a bunch of guys that haven't panned out. Like, even Conley. Conley is one of the one of those guys I think is more most consistent, but he's always injury-prone. You look at Rudy Gobert, he's human. He, he was up a couple times for Defensive Player of the Year or possibly MVP, but he's human now. He's getting dunked on and getting trashed, you know, at every point of the, of the game. And Donovan Mitchell has not panned out yet. The best player on their team, it says like, and I can't even pronounce his last name. Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich, yeah. Bogdanovich, thank you. <laughs> Tomato Campbell Soup. Uh, <laughs> He's their best player. The last game, too, he got really upset. He was like, bro, what? get some rebounds. Do something. Like, he was on fire in the, in the fourth quarter. It just wasn't enough. Dallas Mavericks pulled it out, and they won. So it's just like their best player is supposed to be Donovan Mitchell. Where is he? You know? So I, I just, their nucleus is, I don't know. The question we always yeah. have. It's the question we always have. When is Donovan, Donovan Mitchell going to step up? And I don't in, think in, it will in, ever in be. In high games. <laughs> I don't, it, right. Look, man, I don't think it ever will be. I, to, to be completely honest with you, if you haven't stepped that these are the moments. Y'all get to the playoffs and y'all just fizzle out. Y'all the fizzle out team. You, I don't respect them in the playoffs. Really good in the regular season. Really good. But but, but can't but can't but can't develop into something um elite in the postseason. Not at all. And you you got guys who was on fire during the regular Jordan Clarkson was a I think was the most improved, one of the most improved players. He's not even like I don't even know what he got, has going on. He hasn't shown that that fire behind the three point, uh, behind the three point arc that he had in the regular season. Now it's I, I haven't seen it. So it's just everything that's happened in the regular season has not transpired or translated into the playoffs. So I they're new. I don't think they have a nucleus. Well, it's to be honest with you. And if Luca was in this series, this will probably be a four one series. To oh, be yeah. completely honest with you. Because they won't be able to stop Luca, or at least six, or or, or at least six. Because because I, I, I if Luca's in this series, I give Dallas the clear edge. You think you think he's going? You think he's going that far? The the only the only reason I would say it's going that far because Utah they do have the types of games where Gobert can step up defensive defensively and, and and they can lock in, but it's not something that. Something like that's going to be long or, or, or long lasting. It's just one of those. It, 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 it's a brief moment, but it's not like one of those like consecutive games. So, so I feel as though like they they could have that game in them, but I just don't think because they've been there so you know the the, the amount of times they've been in the postseason, like it's been a lot. But I I'm just kind of questioning: is it going to be one of those like consecutive things? Because year after year, you know, as we said in the past, they've gotten to the point where. Right. People, people have been asking, like, can they get over the hump? But it's just not been able to deliver. So I would say, I would say Dallas in six. But I mean, if if it is Dallas in five, that that wouldn't surprise me either. Man, I'm, I I see where you're coming from. Him, if Luca was there and Dinwiddie, like Dinwiddie looks really really good. 
I don't know, man. I think like it'll be four one, but we we probably won't see it because Luca. We don't have yeah, a clear date. Out. Yeah, clear date when Luca's gonna come back. You said in an interview that he's been doing a little bit, but he's it's no rush. But it seems like you're not gonna be back until what game five, possibly game yeah. six. So it's definitely gonna be a game seven for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> And, and, and I mean, uh, another series that, that I want to get to was Brooklyn-Boston, because when you look at that, like, with what Boston's been able to do, picking up two home wins, um, they they were down a lot in the first half. They made a rally. Um, and when you look at, at what they have going forward, Durant was 4 of 17 from the field. I've never seen Durant kind of struggle that way offensively with a defensive game plan as Boston was doing. Like, what are kind of your thoughts on that series and also kind of the, the news of Ben Simmons coming back for game four? Ooh. Oh, I didn't know that one. Yeah. That's a surprise to me. Um, Ben Simmons is gonna come back. He's he's healthy. He's ready to come back, man. Oh wow. Game four. He's a savior, <laughs> man. He's a savior. You know, <laughs> I am extremely baffled by the play. I've never seen, like you said, I've never seen Kevin Durant play like that. Ever. Ever Wellington, not when he was at Texas. So to him, for him and Kyrie Irving to combine like that, I mean, he's yeah, he still had 27 points, but he was terrible from the field. Kyrie was you terrible. Watch from the game, field. You yeah, know, that you watched that game, you know, that was not a KD game. At that all. was not a KD. 27 points, okay, that's cool. That's an add up after a while. But yeah. if you look at the shots that was missed that were supposed, you know what I mean? Like it's that wasn't Kevin Durant. And I wonder if it the chemistry is starting to fail. Like we we saw them, the chemistry is not there. But it, it, I feel like that's playing a factor because if somebody's down, if Ke- Kevin Durant's not having a great game, who's going to pick up the slack? It's supposed to be Kyrie. Kyrie had ten points. Him holding out and not playing a full season, maybe that's affecting him. Yes, he's still a great player, but. Mm-hmm. It's this this is a different level. This is the playoffs. And you're playing against a good basketball team in the Celtics. And they're very good. Yeah. Very and they good. have a point to prove this year. Out of all the years, this is the year the point to prove for sure. So you're supposed to be the best team, the big three, blah, 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 blah. Ben Simmons is not gonna add anything for you in game four. He hasn't played. He doesn't know who these guys are on the court. That's not something you can bank on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. Maybe as a facilitator, yeah, to get you guys yeah. to your shot, possibly. But I, I like Kevin Durant with the ball in his hands. I like Kyrie even better with the ball in his hands, not Ben Simmons. But I think if— And Seth Curry, Seth Curry was very consistent in game two. He, 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 he really has been reliable so far. And he's playing big minutes, too. 30 minutes uh, yeah. that game. I do—okay, I'll give Ben Simmons a silver lining. I think he's the he's the guy to get these guys to their their points and be able to get them sh- their shots off. Definitely, yeah. I think that's. I don't think he starts. He better not be in the starting lineup. He better come off the bench. Yeah, he doesn't need to. He does. He doesn't. He doesn't deserve it. To be completely honest with you, but that was the worst showing showcase of both players I've ever seen since I've been watching them play since since they were yeah. in college. So. Celtics are on cloud now. Marcus Smart is playing They're great clicking, basketball, man. man. Defensive, defensive player of the year, yes. Marcus Smart. Yes, yeah, and he's it. actually looking like a real point guard. 
Mm-hmm. That's what we were waiting for. We always knew he was go- he was a great defender, but him to could, add could Boston that- make a finals run? Could Boston make a finals run? Ooh, you talking mm, on mm, Wellington? Hey, hey, now nah, I know we live and all, but Wellington, I don't know about that, brother. <laughs> I'm just saying they'll get out of this series just, if they don't wake up. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 definitely out of this series, but 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 what I'm saying is, uh, they would face the the winner of Milwaukee, Chicago, and still have home court advantage. I'm not saying they'll get to the finals, but I'm saying they could possibly get to the conference finals. You know, I mean, like this is the type of team that has that talent, also defensively. But but even with a team like Milwaukee, Chicago, and then what Philly was able to do against um, uh, mm-hmm. Toronto in a double overtime, like what are kind of your other thoughts on the other Eastern Eastern Conference series so far? Ooh, okay. Milwaukee will get out of Chicago. Yeah, they will. They'll get out of Chicago. Seventy Sixers, I think, will get out as well. But to say, and I think Milwaukee will be a good matchup for the Celtics. Now, I, I, I would still give the edge to Milwaukee, though. For sure. I can't give it yeah. to just what we've seen the last two years with the Celtics having similar lineups um, and not being able to produce the way that we we see them on paper. And we always got to say on paper, right, Wellington? <laughs> so what? Got to add that in there. Got to add that in there because when we first got all them over there, we was like, "Oh, they're going to be the yeah," and then they didn't do what we was you know expecting. Our expectations were right. extremely high for them, but to see what they've done in the past few years and they look good two zero. This series is not over yet. It's not. Yeah. Now who can't, can't get it? Can't, can't get ahead of yourself. Exactly. We've seen Kevin Durant come back from. Oh yeah. A deficit before even OKC against San Antonio yes. that one year they were down 0-2 and they came back to win the next four. Yes, exactly. So I think this was I think Kevin. What's beautiful about Kevin Durant's game, if he has off night, which he doesn't have often, I think this game three, game three, boy, he's what? <laughs> he's not giving and it's at home. Up. And it's at home. <laughs> oh, it's a wrap, <laughs> bro. All you gonna see is six ten seven one frame <laughs> jumping up every play. Like he's shooting everything. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's calling timeouts and just shooting it from the bench. <laughs> like, bro, he's gonna be everywhere. He's gonna be on his own timeouts. <laughs> really, bro. So I expect. That, it's 2-0 right now, and I, I can't say they can, Celtics can get out this series, but if Kevin Durant comes out game three and he goes crazy, and if Ben Simmons can bring a different element with the facilitating and possibly, you know, doing some other things, I think they'll be I think they could tie it up. Now you're back in game five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah now you're back in game five in Boston. That's really the game. <laughs> but I'm optimistic about the Ben Simmons. Yeah, game. true. So yeah. we shall see game four. If. If. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and before, before, before. <laughs> but uh, uh, and now getting into our to our first album review. Well, but even before, okay, we have to start with 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 Kendrick's announcement of of his fifth album coming out in May in May May thirteenth. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. He announced his past Monday afternoon, and obviously after a five year year hiatus from his last album, this is you know just really sparked a lot of intrigue. But in terms of just just like the the initial announcement of it and kind of like what you what you might expect. Because obviously being gone five years, there's a lot that can change in an artist like right. kind of uh, catalog and, 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 and just kind of his mindset. What are some of your initial expectations of what this project might sound like? I know the message behind it. Every album or project that Kendra has dropped has had a message behind it. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm for sure 
to believe that this message, because with the name Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, I you it's bro, it's so broad. It's like it's like reminiscent of Harold Mel- Melvin and the and the Blue Nose from like Motown. Like, like yes. it, it gives you that feel like it's gonna give that that live band like something really interesting. And we've seen the I think it was his single or where he was he was dancing or whatever. We we heard the vibe. So it's always it's gonna be a conscious yeah. thing. And yes, he's gonna give us some bangers and some memorable uh songs that we could play over and over. But I think the message, this is last album with TD, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think the message is going to hit more than the music is, and that's what his he's always about the message. So that's what I'm expecting. I'm like, I, I don't know what the from the name I can't get the message from, and obviously I haven't seen a cover art or anything, but I'm expecting the message. Do you to think be it's going to be a good cover art? <laughs> Do you actually think think this is going to be a good cover art? I don't art? think he I know misses. We, he doesn't. He miss doesn't miss. That's what I'm saying. Art. No, and, 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 I, and I meant to say that the last time we were talking about cover arts, the one artist who I know will not mess up a cover art is Kendrick. Kendrick, he never has. Yeah, like never has. They're all even. Even his, I think his dad was like, "Why that boy looking like that?" <laughs> Picture talking about on oh, damn. Yeah, the last album, how he was looking like, <laughs> which, head, which by the way is a classic. Yeah, I was real listening. That album is a classic. Oh my goodness, that is a classic, yes. bro. <laughs> yes, bro. It got so many good songs in there, and the message is dope. And then Pimple Butterfly. Right in front mm-hmm. of the White House. Like, if that was a dope one, the untitled one was a still uh, a good cover art. So he doesn't really miss when it comes to cover arts. And I think they they tell a lot about what you're going to get from the album. I think everything aligns when it comes to Kendrick. So m- m- most definitely, I'm I'm awaiting what the is. There any way is. we're going to be disappointed in this album? Like, do you think there's any no, way we're going to be disappointed? Absolutely I, I, not. I don't. I don't think so. Like, it, some artists when they take a break, they come back like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. I don't, I don't ever feel that with Kendrick. I never feel like no. I'm gonna get less. And I think he's one of those guys who's gonna you're gonna get exactly what you're expecting. And we see yeah. he's one of the most consistent artists. When it comes Ever. to messages, when it comes to um, delivery of songs, like he gives you a good mixture of both. Uh, I don't think he tries too hard. I think he just gives himself That's into important the music. Too. Yes, it's definitely important. He's not trying to find a single song. He's not trying to find a banger song. His message is the biggest thing. And then everything aligns. It's just how we perceive it. So, yeah, I don't think we'll be disappointed in this album because five years, bro, everybody's been waiting. For it, so patiently, patiently. Well, not patiently. Well, we've been asking this for every year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, bro. People have been demanding. <laughs> like, do you need a ride to the studio? People have been saying that this year, bro. Do you need a ride to the exactly. studio? Pretty sure his studio's in his house, so he just has to walk there. So I mean, somebody tweeted on Monday morning, Kendrick Lamar is officially retired, and Kendrick retweeted that with the album announcement. Like Kendrick is watching, bro. Kendrick is always watching. Bro, he's funny, man. And he, yeah, bro. <laughs> that's the oh, that's how he did it. Yes. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> on Twitter. Wow, that's crazy. And then on Instagram, he did he did like the official press release. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. But that's a dope way to do it on Twitter, though. That's so dope, bro. Um could you imagine if one of us did that? <laughs> hey, Frank Ocean is officially retired. <laughs> and then Frank Ocean <laughs> retweet full scope. That would be though. We would get on the map though, for real. So that would be so you should do that. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Frank Ocean, if you're listening, brother, we need retired. another album, bro. We need another album. <laughs> um, but now getting into our first album review with, with Sid's Broken Hearts Club. Um, in her new sophomore album, she shares her own experiences with, with love and captures kind of you know the. The experience throughout her representational cinematic musical illustration of emotional roller coasters and is trying to j- just show devotion, yearning, and affection. 
And even in the final section of the album, you know, she captures just the exact kind of reflection that occurs at the end of all relationships and and also deals with the energy of heartaches. But kind of like, what are your thoughts on this sophomore album and what Sid put together? I, hmm, I thought it was a nice vibe. I think I like her more with the internet. Ah, uh, yeah. If I'm not, like, you know, I, I love her voice and I think she's definitely a vibe because it, it was, even with the song with Kalani, it wasn't, I don't know, it didn't hit for me. Maybe I had to, like, we talked about different moods. Maybe I wasn't in the mood to, you know, receive the music at that time. So I have to listen to it again. But like off first listen, it was, it's definitely a vibe. It's something you could put on and relax and do something else and have it in the background and just vibe to. I didn't really listen to the lyrics. Mostly, most of the time I listened to the lyrics, but this time I didn't. I just listened to the the, the beats, the production and her voice. But I think I have to listen to it again. So the production skid out more, skid out more to you in this one. Yeah, her production is always dope. Like her her beats and her her selection is always dope. I think her voice <clears throat> is so unique in how she you know she you know constructs and uh, formats uh, songs. I think it's very unique in her own style. And when you look at even when she was in the internet, like their beat selection was freaking amazing, and their production oh, yeah. is always amazing, and it, it translates into her point. yeah to her solo career. So. But I just wasn't, you know, I didn't really give it a full listen because I was just listening to, like, the production and her voice. Just like, oh, it's a calming, soothing. But I didn't get the message behind it. I didn't, like, get anything else besides the production and her voice, if that makes sense. And, and, and that's another thing. Like, when you don't understand the message of an album or, 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 like, it's not connecting, like, do you feel as though, like, that can be one of the biggest, like, setbacks or just disappointments in an album when you don't really understand like the theme of what you're listening to because obviously like like everybody wants to get connected to the music but obviously the message behind it even matters more sometimes right and artist perception and i think obviously we we get the the foundation with you know broken hearts club so it's about love it's about going through hardship but like sometimes it's a deeper message within that title or whatever she's trying what each song is conveying and I think I didn't get the the bigger picture, like pinpointing like what really happened or something. Like, I don't know. I'm just maybe I'm yeah. just backstory. Yeah, the backstory or something like that. Like I didn't like engage into the message. Like it was more so just the music, just the sound quality of it. That kind of like okay, I'll listen to this just because it sounds really good. But like I wanted to like I want to connect to the album and I think that's a big thing. That's what people keep coming back to an artist. Can they connect with your music? Can they connect with your message? Did you get your point across? And I I can't say she did because like I said like I in that moment I was just listening to the production and the music or that her voice it. and that was it. And now I have to go back and probably yeah, listen tough. to it again. But I do think like yeah, she's I mean obviously she's a, she's a great artist. And oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, she her voice, man. I would love to get a, a feature. From it's her. nothing about her as an artist. It's just about dealing with the album. Yes, like you know, like yeah. you got we, and I think we need to like really pinpoint that, like the moods. You got to listen to albums in the right mood, and give them a fair shot. Because if I'm not in a mood, like I'm in an up tempo mood, and I put this album on, I'll be like, oh, I don't feel like listening to this. Are there any artists to you today that it doesn't matter what mood you're in, you're, you're, you automatically feel as though yet yeah, they like they're not gonna be able to miss, like, already, even no, no matter what mood I'm in. You already know it's uh, Drake party next door, um, yeah. Janae, mm, oh, uh, 
Her, not her. Um, Summer Walker. Uh, it's some it's some other artists I'm not thinking of, but like Drake and Party Next Door are the main two. Like I don't care what mood I am, I will listen to their music. Oh, it's gonna work. <laughs> regardless, I could be the sad yeah, happy sure. mood. I'm gonna listen to their mood regardless. Music regardless. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and now getting in, into our next review with Boz Punk me uh bump Punk me up uh, EP and his first project since 2019's uh, Spill Milk One EP, including mm-hmm. features with Gunna, J Cole, and, and Ari Lennox. Um, and in terms of some of the catchy tunes on here and just what encompassed the, these four tracks, um, what were some of your, your initial initial thoughts on, on a shorter EP? You know, Boz is so underrated. Telling you. And I think, like, we we talked about it uh, probably, probably two years ago about his album. And, like, he, I think he's in a good pocket where he's not famous, famous, or really known, known. But his music is so consistent. And and I want to call him the big fundamental. I think he's just like Tim Duncan. He, he does what he's supposed mm-hmm. to do. He he has air, he's versatile. Not flashy. Yeah, he's not flashy. He's versatile. He can do multiple music. You can see that with the collab with Lil TJ. Uh, and Lil TJ has a different sound of music that is nowhere close to Boz, but they it works mm-hmm. because Boz is just versatile like that. And it's 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 rare to have an artist like that who's not like. You think of Boss, you don't really think like you think of Dreamville, you don't think of Boss, in my opinion. I think exactly. of J. Cole, I think of Ari, and I think of Earth Gang. Then Boss, then Luke, then um uh, I forgot the other guy's name. But like you don't think of Boss. Like, but like Boss is so solid. And this this four-song EP was so solid. Like it was, it was solid. solid. It's on rotation. It's on rotation. Yes, bro. It was super <laughs> solid. Like. Production obviously is going to be good. His versatility, his melodies, his bars, his lyricism. I mean, he checks boxes, boss. That's he's the big fundamental. Like he he doesn't. I think he loves where he's at. You know what I mean? Coming where he come from, like he loves where he at. The big fundamental. I think he should adopt that name, the big fundamental. He should for sure. We should he should do it. And I think yeah, and give, cred- and give credit to Save Our Morris. Hey, no, look, listen, <laughs> give credit to Full Scope. <laughs> full Scope, yes, exactly, exactly. The collector. <laughs> Shoot, man, but no, this was solid EP. Brilliant with the yeah. four songs to be able to do what you do in four songs is not easy. So everything so tough, yeah, I, and, and, and that's and that's another thing because we have reviewed EPs, but an EP this short, only four tracks, and it's still able to be that effective. Like, what does that tell you about an artist and what he's really like getting done and accomplishing? A, with with his like current state of affairs, the versatility, man. You have to be versatile to be able to 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 do this. You have to be gifted to do four songs and they hit. Because, and I think we talked about this too. Like, if you trying to whatever your point, are you trying to get across the message? Because you go through so many beats, so many productions, so many producers. You make all these songs, and to be able to condense them down to four songs, and I'm pretty sure he had had at least ten or eleven. Just for backup, say okay, okay, I don't like this one. We what are we gonna do with this one? Uh, I think we should go here. Like, and to be able to condense that in a four song EP, I think the highest you could go with an EP is like seven songs, and you can get your point across to seven songs. But four, and they hit, and you you have a good song with the J Cole and Lil TJ. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's extremely solid. You got to be versatile and gifted, and your team has to trust you. You have to trust your producers. So, I mean, yeah, it's a lot that goes into being able to make so a much. good EP for four songs. But I think with this one, it's solid. I think he woke up the next one like, yeah, I got one. This is oh, yeah. Yeah, I got Definitely. one. 
Um, and, and now getting to our next review with, with Salt's Air, um, in their latest sixth album, you can kind of see just an act of, of creative rebirth as it was led by a Dean Josiah cover. Uh, there's graceful symphonies and a bold use of the choir's instrument with classic scores by Herman and Morricone, and, it, it, and its dramas come with a larger-than-life feel. Um, and one of the tracks, Time is Precious, the one that, that I included lyrics, you know, had celestial harmonies and, and a symphonic wall of, of sound just trans, tr- translate to a soulful uh, vocal groove. But what were your overall thoughts on how this album was, you know, just very elemental and had an uplift, uplifting and, and escapist feel to it? Because listeners, this this was a very different album. Yes. Uh, no no lyrics. It, it, like, this is the album I would recommend to people if, they're, if they really just don't want to hear, if you really don't want to hear lyrics, but just want to hear something that you can just ride to or just listen to, like, when you're reading, this is the perfect album for it. But what were some of your initial thoughts on it? Well, it's in. Once again, you put me on things I've never heard of. You know, it was crazy. Before I played, like, after I played it, the first song, I was like, dang, when are they going to come in and say something? <laughs> like, where's the lyrics? I knew, I knew you would have that reaction. <laughs> and then I looked up, it said instrumental. I was like, oh, my gosh. This is a whole instrumental tape. And I listened to instrumental tapes. I listened to a couple of producers. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, producers are put their beats and stuff out. I was nervous. Yeah. I was nervous when I put it for review. I was like, "Is Savon gonna really like this?" <laughs> Bro, like, I, it could be by, by, by surprise because most of the time when you send me the track, the, like the you know what we're gonna be talking about, I'll look at them and then I'll play them. I'll just type in, "Hey, play this," or so I say, "Hey, hey Siri, play Salt Air," and then they'll play it. And I'm just like in the car listening. I'm like, "Okay, I like the it's it's got me in there." Yeah. And then <laughs> it got to like <laughs> I forgot how long the song is. Probably like. It got to like two minutes or something. I'm like, yo, this does not have any lyrics on here. This is an awesome intro. <laughs> then I looked at it and said instrument. I was like, oh, okay, okay. Now, yeah. now I re- then I replayed it and then I went through it again. This is yeah, like like well, as I said, if you want to read or you want to drive, you just want a night it's drive. Perfect. For perfect. It, it, it gives you. It has different moods. And I love like orchestras, like I love, you know, orchestras and stuff like that. So listening to this, just listening to instrumentals and different strings and stuff like that. I thought it was really, really dope. Um, maybe they could have put an ad lib or something in there, like, hey, and then <laughs> that that was the one thing. Like, do you feel as though like just just not having anything in there, any words in there, maybe the one thing that, that the one critique you would have for it? No, no, I, I think it's that's the purpose of it. Like you that was tell, the purpose yeah, of it. You tell though. A story, that was the purpose of it, though. Yeah. And I think it it did tell a decent story because it started off like, you know, like uh melancholy, like like sad a little bit, then it goes and uh, and then it goes into like a different mood. Like it, it I like that, you know? Yeah. And that, I think that was the purpose of it. Obviously, they put it as an instrumental, it had no voices, nothing on there. And I think it was really dope. Like, I don't know if there was a collective of production, like people mixing and mastering, finding different strings, having people come in and play live instruments. Whoever whoever did the collective, great, great job. Great job. This Absolutely. was this was really nice. This is something like if I'm like writing or I'm like trying to like even my business plan I was writing before, like I was listening to this, like right before wow. we yeah. So I listened to uh reality first and then I kind of skipped to like time is precious. Time is precious fire. It is, and, and, I, and I believe I believe Cleo Soul Cleo Soul is at the end of it. Yes, yes. It's like um we was talking about with uh, Reese Agape. The uh, oh yeah. It's like I listen to that like like I love stuff like that. So good. Yeah. So, so this good. was really dope. What's like 
can we get a hand clap for Wellington for finding these like music and stuff, bro? Like, Reese, give me a hand clap, bro. I try to do research. I try to do research as much research as much research. I tell you what, like you put me on so much music and so many different things, bro. I gotta give you your flowers, bro. Yeah, this is uh this definitely got added. I would highly recommend it. Highly recommend it for our listeners. Highly recommend it. Especially in your class, school, like yeah. Oh, yes. Studying. Perfect for that. Perfect. Definitely. Um, and now getting into our, to our last review with Flores Exito um, and the indie R&B artist new single off of her upcoming debut EP. The track is just a perfect match for angelic vocals and the contemporary instrumentation and production really is a surreal and moving piece about moving through a difficult time in a relationship um, produced by the longtime collaborator Mass Time Joy. It has influences of you know Frank Ocean, Bon Iver, and Jasmine Sullivan. But what were some of your takeaways and, and just thoughts on this single? Ooh, this was, this was different for me. Um... I thought it was solid. I want to give a shout out. I want to give a shout out to Kevin Garcia. Last week, he recommended me to listen. This is why I reviewed this one. <laughs> oh, for real? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I hate. It. I missed that one. I thought this was this was uh this was really solid. I never heard of her. Um, she's got a she's got a she got a pretty good voice. Um, I gotta give it another listen though. I just listened it one time and I thought it was takes a few times. Yeah, I think it was, I thought it was really solid. Um, but I think I have to listen to a other her other songs to kind of get a, like a glimpse of. Who she at? Who who she is as an artist from the, from past years to now, and what it led up to her dropping that type of song as a single. Um, I'm not gonna say if I thought it was a single or not, but <laughs> <laughs> it was it was one of her singles. She, she, she's got like four singles coming up. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I know she's been doing music what since like 2016 or something. So I need to go back yeah. and listen to that, and then probably come back and come back to this and see the 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 progress or the difference. But I thought it was a solid song though, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I mean, uh, uh, another thing with indie R&B artists, especially ones that, that aren't well as known, like, do you feel as though, especially when they're on the come up and they're not as as kind of well known, it takes some time, especially like if they're not put out in the forefront, I, I should say, that it takes time to like really kind of get familiar with their music or just what they've done in the past? I think, with, y- yes, I do think so. I think it's the, the right timing. Someone got to put you on these indie artists for sure. Because uh, most of them, they don't have... It's like maybe you'll find them on like an Apple Music or Spotify playlist or somebody like w- w- you well attend or somebody like... Uh, I forgot the guy's name you just said who said, hey, you should Kevin listen... Garcia. Kevin Garcia. you should listen to this song. Like it takes It, it was like with Cleo Soul. It was like yes. with Cleo Soul for me. I didn't I didn't find, find out about Cleo Soul until Joe Budden played her on, her, on his podcast. Oh. That was the first time I ever heard of her. Okay, okay. And then I was like, oh, I get it. And I think this song, I, I do say, I think I like her melodies... Like the, I think I like I think I like the melody. I think she more. I I don't think I like the mix and mastering, okay. of of this track. But I love her melodies. I think it was the Westcom was too thick on her vocals. Um, but yeah, for just to go back to the any artist thing, yeah, I, it, it takes word of mouth for sure, and just like the right time and a finding. Like I found so many artists from my Apple Music uh. Assorted playlists they they make for me, and I'm like, oh, okay, I never heard of this person. Let me, like Dylan Sinclair, phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal singer. He's been around for so long, and then this is another guy, um, Brandon Banks called song. You should listen to this, Wellington. It's called Trying. Okay. Brandon Banks called Trying, and I've listened to it probably like ten times since Wednesday. <laughs> like I've it's on. Wow. I listen to it all the time when I'm in the car, and. I think oh, it was I really, yeah. I thought it was really dope. He had a nice melody, and what I love about it, and you will see this, 
how he came on the beat. Oh, I was like, yeah, like how it's just like <laughs> it, like it was so smooth. But you, if you yeah. listen to it, you'll you'll hear what I'm talking about. Definitely. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with our Ocean's Thirteen review. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Ocean's 13 review. And to start the overview, Ocean's 13 is a 2007 highest comedy film directed by Steven Soderbergh. It is the third installment in the Ocean's franchise, the sequel to Ocean's 12, and the final film in the Ocean's trilogy. Um, the entire cast reprised their roles from the previous installments with Al Pacino and Ellen Barkin joining the cast. Had a budget of $85 million and brought in $311.7 million into the box office. Also had a 70% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but what were kind of your initial thoughts on this film, on this final film of the Ocean's trilogy, and, and also just having another A-list heavy, heavy hitter and Al Pacino joining the cast. Right. Ah, uh, man, what a way to finish this trilogy or this series or this yeah. whatever, man. It was... It's hard to do that in three, let alone two, let alone one, Willison. But <laughs> exactly. To, to have three great films, and I, I, I think the first one, obviously, is the, the best one, in my opinion, but, oh yeah, Ocean's Eleven is. Yeah, I mean classic. that just just set the set the tone, and they're able to be able to you know make a, the second one and the third one. But I thought this was really solid. I thought this was a a good film, and adding you you always got to top yourself if you're going to do these sequences. And then how do you top yourself? You add Al Pacino. I'm already sold. Like Al Pacino is one of the greatest actors ever. Ever. Oh, yeah. Versatility through the roof has range. But to add him to it with all our star-studded cast with Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, I mean, the list goes on. Don Cheadle. Like, the list goes on. But the, my first, you know, reaction was like, yo, this is really dope. I love the storyline. I love how they added Al Pacino in there. It wasn't like, hey, this is Al Pacino. This is his character. But it was like, <laughs> the, it was like... Hey, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, it was so smooth how they, you know, obviously the plot, somebody double-cross someone and... Whatever, but then you find out Al Pacino double-crossed them. So it was just like, oh, okay, so it's, they got to really come with their A game. How do you steal, I think it was three, 3.5 something and three, no, it was, how much money was it? $300 million in 3.5 minutes? 300 million. Yeah, 300 million, yeah, 3.5 minutes. Bonkers. <laughs> That's crazy, bro. So like, to be able to have that, you you top yourself again. Like, you have to do something better than what you did the second time. So they did that. <laughs> And, and and that's another thing because George Clooney and Steven Soderbergh, like they even talked after after the second film, which I mean, Ocean's Twelve, I, I still feel as, as though it is a good film, but some people say as though it was it was like one of the most it it didn't make the most sense compared to the other two mm-hmm. because they weren't in this, the same central location. But even Clooney and Soderbergh had conversations about like how they can make it a more traditional Ocean's film. Like, do you feel as though like having that three year gap after Ocean's Twelve mm-hmm. and then getting back to like bringing in the heavy hitters again, kind of like what was a necessary kind of run for them after a, a good film, but maybe not one that got the same praise Ocean's Eleven. I, I think you have to take <clears throat> that time, possibly even longer, because you have to convince yeah. yourself, do we really want to make a third one? Do we make, really want to, like, because we made two great ones, like two good ones. The first one was amazing. The second one was solid again. It was solid. Good storyline. You you add other these other actors in there, Bruce Willis, like you, you star yeah, studded cat, yeah. So now you have to take that three. It's like, do we really want to do this, y'all? Like, can we get everybody back at this time? People's careers have like skyrocketed or went into different directions. Can we get everybody back? Can we can we get a storyline or do something that's different that'll bring people back in? Like, oh, y'all making a third one? So 
I think three years is a good time to be able to do that. And I think mm-hmm. the expectations were expectations for this. I think, I think they met expectations for a third film because Definitely. it's it's hard. Like you, well, in the Matrix, I think the Matrix Reloaded was the best one, and then the I forgot the third one. What is called Matrix Revolution? Revolution was was pretty good too. But I think when you look at Ocean's Eleven's trilogy, the first one's the good one, and then the, and then it goes in order. The first one's good, second one's good, and third one is it was it goes in order. So for some series or some trilogies, it, it goes out of order. The second one could be better. The third one couldn't even you know better than the first and the second one. So so you think twelve was better than thirteen? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 twelve gets too much hate. I really like twelve. I, I like actually 12 really like twelve too. <laughs> 13, I mean, it was cool having Al Pacino as the bad guy and then having seeing Matt Damon with this fake nose on. That was cool. I think Ocean 12 had more high highlights. Oh, yes. The highs were Yeah, high. you know what I mean? And Julia Roberts acting like Julia Roberts. Yes, bro. Like, <laughs> yes, it's slept on. So I think it's one, two, three. Yeah. So um, I think yep. you have to take that time to to convince yourself we need to make a third one. We have to do this. We, you know, we who who can we get? I know they went through the laundry list of play. Like, who can we get after getting Julia Roberts again, who was one of the most high, highly sought-off actress at that time? And then you get Bruce Willis. You still have Matt Damon. You have all these Brad Pitt. Like, how? who do we get? You only could get Al Pacino <laughs> or Robert De Niro. And I'm pretty sure That's Robert it. De Niro said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in casino. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this. So you talk to Al. So, like, that's the last person you could get. Who else could you get to be the villain? Could you imagine if that's what Robert De Niro actually is? Hey, yo, talk to Al. Talk to Al. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, George, just, uh, you know, I don't, that's, not my, no, that's not my thing. So you got to go talk to Al. Well, you know, I, I played well. in films like this before. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, I'm on board. So, like, you couldn't get anybody else to play that villain role. I don't think Robert De Niro could play that role. He could, but not as good as Al Pacino portrayed it, so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and now getting to our first topic from one of four stars, what would you give it? Uh, what would be your particular rating for this film? Ooh, I'll give it three. I'll give it three stars. It, it didn't have, and it has as many, as many like funny moments in it. Like the first one and the second one did. The first one had so many great moments. We, we were just laughing the entire yes. Ocean's Eleven review. Oh, bro, Ocean's Eleven was so funny, bro. Like it had so many good sequences. It was just, it was just greatly written, greatly shot. Like, I had no, like, like, pet, like not pet peeves, but, like, nitpicker, like, nitpicking about the film or anything. But this, I mean, it was good. Like it, it didn't have any, like, memorable, memorable highlights from it. The, the two yeah. things I do remember is <laughs> Matt Damon with the fake nose and then... <laughs> uh, yeah, like that's the, like the one thing I remember. The fake nose, fake, man, no, he came off the play. He was like, "The nose works. The nose works. <laughs> yeah, it works. I know it doesn't. Just not for take it off. Take that off. But uh, goodness, I give you the only stuff. complaint I have of Matt Damon's career is that fake nose. <laughs> everything else. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, I, I would give it three too because you know this, this film really did add recognition of both the city's traditions and new trends. Uh, um, j- just the witty and suave layout, which kind of made the original success really help this one as as well from um, Soderbergh's direction. But now getting into favorite character, I, I mean, t- to me, like the the, the character that I've always kind of liked in, the, in these films the most has been Rusty because yeah. you know not a lot ever gets by him, and, he, and he's just the the one part of the crew to to bring just a point of order and provide instructions that Danny or others sometimes can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but to you kind of like overall, who's your favorite character? 
I have to give it to Linus, like, you know, Matt Damon's character. He's willing to do anything. Yeah. Like, he's willing to, like, whatever I need to do, I'll do, do it. Do what I got to do for the team. Yeah, like, he's, <laughs> like, you know, a selfless person. I mean, they are still in money, but still. But, uh, <laughs> but he's a selfless person when it comes to whatever. He's the whatever I whatever need to do guy. Because he's he's the number three guy, to be honest with you. It's, it's Obviously, it's Danny, and then Rusty's. Danny's the brain, Rusty's the planner, and then Linus is just the guy who would do anything. Who's going to be the high roller? I'll be the high roller. I'll do it. Whatever the fuck knows. So, yeah, I, I think Linus is uh, my favorite character, besides Bernie Mac's character. But I always say that because Bernie Mac is Bernie super Mac funny. killed it in this, in this, in this yeah, franchise, bro. He, yeah. I don't, think the, I don't think the franchise would have been... It, it definitely would have been good, but like he was just like that X factor that really took it over to me in, in all three films. And some of that stuff is improv. He's, exactly. he's just that good. Like, he brings the extra element. Like, they need... Because I think every movie has to hit those qualities or those criteria to make it good. Like, comedy's big. You want to make people laugh. You want to make people remember a scene. Like, every scene... Most of every scene Bernie Mac is in, like, I remember. Like, even when uh, first Transformers, hey, Mammy! <laughs> I'll bust you in your head with a rock. Like, I remember that scene for Transformers because it was, like, super funny. So... I think that's yeah. why that's the beauty of Marvel films or MCU universe because they add that comedic uh, element to their movies. It's not all serious, not all like you know sequences of fighting, but that comedy I think is a good foundation in any genre of of of, of film to be able to have that. That's what lingers on with people. That and like you know love, but comedy is mostly one. So. They, I think without Bernie Mac, they couldn't find a guy who could improv these mm-hmm. these conversations the and wouldn't be the same, no. Yeah. Um, and, and now getting into most memorable scenes, I had uh, Rusty visiting Willie Bank as a, a geophysicist to plan a, a hidden camera in his office. Also, Basher uh, distracting Bank where Basher is sent in to distract Willie Bank while Virgil and Turk mm-hmm. hack into the FBI database. Um, the domino scene with, with Banks and Terry Benedict, the mass winning scene finally uh, breaking Bank where... Uh, Bank realizes that that Danny Ocean and his crew sabotage his, his chance at winning the Five Diamond Award. Um, so you kind of like what were some of your your memorable scenes in this movie? Oh, had to be when they're in the um, they're in the clothing store. Obviously, they're talking about the nose. I think he gets he's self conscious about it. And he was like, "No, the work, the nose work." Like like that sequence was really funny. <laughs> um, them uh, uh, talking about like we 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 can't do this like get, still in something three point five minutes I think that was really dope and then pulling it off was a good scene but all the other ones you said were really good but that's the other one that stood out the most like them talking about the nose like it's a convincing like because it's like huge like who does this with their nose like who has this <laughs> extremely just thing on their face. Can't even enjoy your drink. <laughs> <laughs> Straws has to be put in my drinks. Like I can't even, you know. All nose matters, oh man. Goodness, man. All nose is better. Come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Um, but now getting into most memorable quotes, um, I had um, I don't lose people who bet on me uh, uh to lose lose and they lose big from Willie Bank. Mm-hmm. Also, this town might have changed, but but not me from Willie Bank. Um, Ruby Ruben, uh, that's just a myth from Danny. Also, you, you shook Sinatra's hand. You should know better from Danny. It can't be done from Rusty. And finally, you know you're half smart, Ocean, from Bank. Um, t- to you, kind of like, what was like maybe one or two memorable quotes in this movie for you? Oh, you said all of the good ones. Let's see if I can find another one. Ooh. 
No, you said all the good ones, man. You can pick. You can pick from one of the ones I've, I've said. <laughs> no, yeah, all like every last one of them all is those, the ones yeah. I've had. Like those are the ones most memorable. I mean, obviously, I would have picked like I picked one from Bernie Mac, but I was like, nah, that's typical because when we did Ashes Eleven, like that's oh, all we, my we quotes. All Bernie Mac quotes. <laughs> all Bernie that's all my quotes. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let me let me go to like the other main characters and try to pick a quote for them. But you said all the good quotes though. Um, and, and now getting into kind of like, what did you like the most about the storyline? Uh, to me, just how there was an actual compelling reason for the team to come back together. Because, you know, based on, on Ruben's health crisis and the element of of Danny recruiting the original film's villain and Terry Benedict mm. was really kind of just an, an ironic uh, plot twist. Um, but to you, like, what element in the storyline did you kind of like the most? Ooh, um, how they, what I love about it, they always say they can't do something. With, always. Always. We always say like, we, we can never pull us off. Right. We can never. <laughs> That's another of the quotes when they were talking about, we don't, we, we don't have the time. We don't have a way in. But then they figure how, they figure out a way to do it. Yes. And they always come back to where whoever, whatever person on the team is in need, they'll come back. In this case, it was Ruben. He got ripped off from Al Pacino's character. But that that's that's the the main the storyline. Like they always say, well, we can't do it. Knowing they're gonna figure out a way to do it. And it's gonna make it brings like how hard it is to try to plan to do something in 3.5 minutes. I think that's the it's the outrageousness of like this cannot be done in real life. How can you rip something off in 3.5 minutes? Can that really be done? I think it kind of goes in with reality and fantasy of what they can do and what they couldn't do. How planning will get you into certain certain things so you could be able to accomplish them. Evidently, them stealing numerous amounts of money. So, now nah, I always thought they was like, I would say, oh, we can't do this. We can't do that, man. Come on. And they do it. <laughs> you do it every time. Every time. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, in terms of just like the, the way, the way this movie, it, it, from, from the jump, Ocean's Eleven, how, the, how this entire uh, cast was put together, like, do you feel as though, like, in terms of the, the picking that Soderbergh had to make, um, and and the guys that he had in place, like, do you feel as though everybody that was in like the original cast and even in this cast was just kind of placed into the perfect spot? Because it, it's hard to have like an A list cast like this yeah. and not mess up once. But he really wasn't able to mess up in any spot that he picked. You, I think they took their absolute time with this. And once you got Brad Pitt mm-hmm. in. And I think that kind of was like in Matt Damon and then all the George Clooney was a legend at that time because he's done so many films, films and yeah. stuff like that. So they were like, okay, you have, who do you have? Who, 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 who's who do you have right now? And you name Brad Pitt, you name Matt Damon, you got both of them. Man. And then you add Don Cheadle, Bernie Mac, you add the little scraggler guys like Scott Kane, who's, who's, who's a big supporting actor for years, playing in many films, you just add these little tidbits of guys who are really good at acting, but don't cost much. Or they're like B-listers or C-listers. Exactly. But I think it's well-planned in the people that they cast. But when you have three giants, like Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Matt Damon, it's it's easier to cast people then. Like, oh, I'm going to be with on the set in the film with them? Okay, let's do it. I don't care how much you pay me. I'll be there. That's That's a credit. Like, I'm part yeah. of that film, so... I think everything was strategic and you have to have a great script. So. For sure. Oh yeah. That is so important. So important. My goodness. But I think at that time um, when Ocean's Eleven first came out, we haven't seen this type of film in its entire. We hadn't seen anything like this. Mm-mm. We had never seen anything like no. this before. And they started that. Now you, now you get spinoffs. Now you get films that kind of like 
you know, get inspired by Ocean's Eleven and Twelve and Thirteen. So obviously they made a women's version of Ocean's Eight. Ocean's Eight. So that was yeah. that was okay. It wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, but it was okay. Um, and, and now getting into our last topic, teams from now, like, do you still think this will be watched but intriguing? I, I, I definitely think it will because, like, whenever, you, as, as we mentioned, whenever you have a cast like this and also bringing in other A-list heavy heavy eaters like uh, uh, like Al Pacino and, and the humor is still sharp and, and witty, there's so many parts of this that that's still, even though it, it's not as good as the original, which is, it, it's hard to, to get to that yeah. point again, but they still were able to pull off a, a, a really solid closer um, to this trilogy, yeah. like, what do you think will continue to make this a watchable, intriguing movie another decade from now? Man, besides of the actors, the A-list actors, I think just what they started, they pioneered something yeah, that hasn't, yeah, Trailblazer, and it hasn't been seen. And I think it's a testament to how they've written, cast it to be able to say they didn't miss. No, the two and three wasn't as like didn't come close to Ocean's Eleven, but they were still good films. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, I think they could stand alone if they didn't have, if they called it something else and somebody else shot it and did. I think it would be a good film and probably be good, uh, good rated on Rotten Tomato or something. But mm-hmm. since it came after such a incredible movie from top to bottom, then it's kind of like, oh, okay, they they're really good, but you can't top the first one. But I think this is the first trilogy to be able to say, okay, we got it. One of the first, because Matrix, before they made that fourth one, I still haven't watched it. Oh, before they made that f- the fourth one, they were one of the trilogies. Like Terminator is another trilogy. Yeah. Well, they're not a trilogy. They had like four or five. But the first, yeah, they had the first three films that were really solid, that were really good. They didn't miss. And I think this is one of them too. Definitely. And is Carrie Benedict still the best Ocean's villain to you? Yes. He's got to be. Yes. And then to be able to be all three of them. <laughs> that's so, that's so wild. You can tell how he came good back. Yes. He kept coming back. Yes. <laughs> and you have to, like, you have to, bring. now he was a consultant. Now you bring him back. You bring him back in the second one. Oh, you got to repay me. We got to rip somebody else off. And yeah. then you're a consultant on the third one. So it's a testament how good of a villain he really was. So I think in the first one, he was really smart, but he got, I was, Oh, yeah. with it. But then he figured it out. So you can tell how smart he really is. So like, yeah, he was the best villain. Al Pacino was, okay, uh, Bruce Willis, all yeah. them other guys, oh, okay. But yeah, he was definitely but the best one. Terry Benedict, yes. yeah, top one. Good actor. Um, For sure. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Winter Burns, along my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.